Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Matt Patricia having himself a week. His Lions picked off the very first pass of his first game as an NFL head coach and returned it for a touchdown. Pick six. And given this guy's defensive background, that's amazing. That was absolutely incredible. As a former D coordinator, it does not get any better than that. And you saw Detroit Rock City off the hook. It felt like Detroit had finally found the badass it had been looking for. Until it didn't. Until the New York Jets outscored Matt Patricia's Detroit Lions 48-10 the rest of the way. Until their fans started booing the team on opening night. Until their fans started to flat out leave the building. Until the Jets players started talking about how they knew what plays the Lions were going to run before they even ran them. Until the Detroit Free Press ran a piece with the headline, and I quote, Matt Patricia is in over his head, end quote. Until everybody remembered that none of Bill Belichick's assistants seemed to be worth a damn without the hood and TB12. I mean, they all struggle when they leave, but never as much as Patricia did in week one. I mean, damn. That was a brutal start. Almost as brutal as the Detroit Free Press pointing out that Patricia had the single worst debut in Lions head coaching history. Now, I don't know if you've checked out the list of legends who have patrolled the Lions sideline, but we're not exactly talking about Vince Lombardi and John Madden. I mean, if you're one game into your career and you're already being mentioned with the likes of Marty Morningwig, you're in trouble. But it's only one game, right? It's only one bad night, right? Shake it off and focus on week two, right? Not exactly. Because ever since the game ended, Matt Patricia has had to spend time explaining to people that opposing defenses, knowing your plays before you run them, really is not that unusual. It's not that big of a thing. He actually told the Detroit Free Press, and I quote, I think we're talking about something that's pretty common to when you have to face an opponent. There's going to be things that they're very familiar with. Obviously, I would say on both sides of the ball, there is some high familiarity with some of the things that we do that we worked in practice. They just obviously out-executed us, and that was the biggest problem, end quote. So this rocket scientist works and waits his entire life for this shot. I'm guessing the very last thing he expected to do was have to convince people that it's just not that big of a deal that the opposition, and not just the opposition, but the freaking Jets, knew exactly what they were going to run before they ran it. The last thing he expected to do was go all cat with it and try and tell the world, happens all the time. Happens to us all. Happens to us all. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, except for one thing, Matt. It doesn't happen all the time, and it doesn't happen to us all. But it just happened to you. And that's really not the argument you want to be going with. Trust me. Not unless you want people to think you are in way over your head. You don't know what the hell you're doing. I mean, sure, the NFL is a professional league. Opposing coaching staffs have a lot of people breaking down a lot of film, trying to figure out tendencies. But that's the thing. They're figuring out tendencies. They're not calling out your entire playbook at the line of scrimmage. There's, quote, high familiarity And then there's knowing exactly what you're going to do before you do it for an entire game. And that's not the only fire this guy's facing in the D. There's also a report from Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network that Patricia was hearing from a number of vets already in the Lions locker room who were griping about the number of rules that he put in place and about how hard he was going after guys in training camp. You know, the same old deal with everybody who shakes loose from that Belichick tree and gets their shot. They try to act exactly like Belichick, but without the rings and the cred that the hood has. And it never works. Ask any of them who have tried. Hell, ask all of them. So, I get the idea that Patricia wants to change the culture. Anytime any coach comes in, they say that. It stands to reason. If the guy before them got fired, there needs to be a change in culture. Patricia was brought in to do that. But if you're going to crack down with a lot of rules and you're going to work guys that hard in camp, 
and then ban them from going on social and, in, in effect, act like you're Bill freaking Belichick when you haven't won a single game yet as a head coach, then you sure as hell better get results. And losing by 31 at home to a rookie quarterback making his first NFL start is not the kind of result that I'm talking about. Bottom line, doesn't mean that Matt Patricia has already lost that team. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I am saying that may have been the ugliest 60 minutes of football I've ever seen. And not just from the Lions, but from anyone. And if the vets were tripping before the season even started, it's going to be a lot worse after that humiliating hospital job in front of the entire world. You know, just like that shaggy beard and that pencil behind his ear. Being a hard ass is awesome when you're winning. But it looks stupid when you're getting blown out at home by a team that won five games last year. Going to be damn near impossible to get a buy-in from your new team if they've already tuned you out completely. Yes, it's only one game. And no, I don't want to see you Lion fans completely freaking out and burning your Lions gear. But I wouldn't blame you if you did. Because it's not just about how that team played Monday night. Which was terrible, disorganized, incompetent. They didn't look like they had a new coach. They looked like they had no coach. And at least for one night, having no coach would have been better than having that coach. Because I've never seen that team look any worse than it did that night. And that's a team that has run the table in reverse. Instead of pissing them off, coach, coach them up. Because if you really are a rocket scientist, now is the time to prove it. Sure, Matt, you can put a man on the moon, but can you stop a halfback screen? the sound of me giving myself a tongue. Carson Palmer is my guest. Carson, great to have you back on. Good morning. How are you? Jim, it's been a while. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. How are, how are things? Carson, How's the West so Coast? Yeah, man, that's funny you said that. I was going to say, man, I'm really happy to talk to you too. It's been a while. Things are great here. It's great to have you on. Let me first ask you, you announced your retirement, Carson, back in January. So first things first, how is retired life treating you? Retired life is good. You know, I, I was a little... A little worried going into the weekend after I watched my SC Trojans, you know, take the L on Saturday, and then I was a little worried about my first chance to sit back and watch football. But um, I saw some of the hits these guys are taking, and and remember that feeling. And um, I'm much happier. I'm, I'm the spokesman for uh, FedEx's air and ground player this year, and I'm much much happier and much more comfortable uh, talking FedEx and talking the air and ground players of the week as opposed to trying to win one as, as a quarterback like these guys are week in, week out this year. Carson Palmer joining us, and he is appearing courtesy of FedEx, Aaron Ground, and the NFL program there, which I will get to momentarily. Now, Carson, when you announced your retirement, you said in a statement over the course of your career that when you had teammates retire, you'd ask them, how did you know it was time? And generally they would say, you just know. So how did you know it was time to step away? I just knew. My, my body let me know um, throughout my last year and, and – Probably year 12, 13, 14 uh, were, were parts of my career where I was, I was thinking, you know, is this, is this it? Do I have one more? Do I want to play one more? Um, and, and the answer was always the same, yes, yes, and yes. And uh, I got to year, year 14 and, and could start to feel father time and, and start to feel the hits uh, that, that had left a lasting impression and just knew that that, that was it. And, and I knew... Um, you know, there was a chance that somebody would get hurt and I, my agent would get a call and, and maybe I'd play one more. But um, I, I got to the point where I just knew. And, and I, had, I had played a long time and had a lot of uh, great memories and, and met a, some amazing people along the way. But it was time. My body, my body knew it was time. And I've got four young kids that, that needed more, more of my time. So it was a pretty easy decision for me. Carson Palmer joining us here in the jungle. So you mentioned your alma mater, USC, your fellow USC alum, Sam Darnold. Carson could not have started his NFL career any worse than he did throwing that pick six on his first play from scrimmage, but the guy bounced back and he showed so much composure the rest of the way on Monday night. So what's that say about him, not only as a player, but as a leader? Well, that, that's what you're defined by. You know, it's, it's how you react and how you overcome bad things that happen. Because everybody's going to miss a pass and throw an interception and all those things, but it's what you do on the next series and it's what you do throughout the rest of the game. And to see... You know, he drops back and, and rolls out and throws that ball and ends up in the up in, in the other end zone. There is no worse feeling than that, and it's easy to go in the tank. You're on Monday Night Football. You're the youngest starter in, in Jets in Jets history, and you know all these things. And and he blocked it out. He moved on to the next play. He didn't dwell on it. 
it didn't affect the rest of his game. And it just shows you how mature he is. He may be young and, and um, you know, he, he's everybody's talking about how young he is and, and he left college early and he's the youngest player in X amount of years. But um, you're only as young as you play. And, and he played like a veteran. And, and he showed that team that it's not too big for him. It's it's not too big of a moment. And, and he made the best of, of his opportunity. And we're just going to continue to see him grow. He's going to have his struggles throughout the year. But you saw the resiliency resiliency in him on, on Monday night. Carson Palmer joining us. Great to talk to him. Carson, you mentioned that he left college early, and then at USC right now you've got a guy who left high school early in JT Daniels. I mean, he's just starting off right now, but he's really precocious and really unique. What do you think when you see him? I, I absolutely love his game. Uh, I, I've been following him. He, he's, as you know, uh, an Orange County guy. He went to modern day high school and uh, my brother's been been working with him for a long time. Been telling me about him since I think he was in like sixth or seventh grade, sending me videos. And, um, so JT Daniels goes way back with me, and um, I really think he has a chance to be one of the best to ever play at, at USC. He is so calm and cool and smart. And you saw some. I know they lost on Saturday night, but you saw some great vision. He's great in the pocket. He's really slippery in the pocket and hard to get his hands on, and he can throw the ball all over the field. So I, uh, I'm really excited, and, and you rarely, uh, from a college standpoint, go from a Sam Darnold to a JT Daniels. A lot of times you go from Sam Dar- Darnold's success and all the things he brought to the university, and you have a lull, and, and you have some years where you're trying to find that next guy. Well, Coach Helton and, and USC have done a great job finding the next guy because he's at Carson Palmer joining us. You know, Carson, when you played, everybody who played with you, guys who played against you, always talked about your legendary toughness. As an example, you broke your arm last season against the Rams, yet you were still jogging around on the sideline. And according to Drew Stanton, you still try to get back into the game in the next series. I mean, were you just kind of wired like that? Where To play that position in that league, you've got to be tough, but you had next-level toughness. Where did that come from? Was that a mindset or something else? I think it's always a mindset. Um but but that was my game. You know, every quarterback knows their their niche and and their game and their strengths and their weaknesses. My weakness was getting outside the pocket and trying to run with the ball. I, I wasn't running past or, or over anybody. My my strength was sitting in the pocket, being able to take take big hits. You know, I, being a six five, two hundred forty five pound guy, I was built for that. I wasn't built to get outside the pocket and run. So, um, you know, I knew that was where I needed to excel and that was something I needed to have success. And, and, um, I don't know, I, I, I did some different stuff in the off season, I guess, over the years, kind of developing a pain tolerance by, by actually finding ways to, to put yourself in pain and kind of block it out and focus on other things. And, you know, it's just, everybody has to find their own, uh, sweet spot or their own thing that kind of separates them and, and, and makes them who they are. Uh, every quarterback, every quarterback has to find that and has it, and that was that was what I used, and, and one of the things that helped me excel. That's pretty wild. I mean, so like, what kinds of pain were you looking for in the off season to help develop a greater tolerance for pain? I spent a bunch of time at the end of workouts, um, whether kind of doing boxer boxer type workouts, um, where I was laying on the ground and, and would take hits from a, a medicine ball. I would stand up in a, in a throwing position, and, and my trainer would have boxing gloves on, and just kind of rattle your rattle your rib cage a little bit, get you used to that that um, that feeling of getting hit while you're throwing, um, that feeling of being tired, being exhausted, and then you take one right in the right in the stomach that should knock the wind out of you, and fighting, you know, those opportunities where you really should have the wind knocked out of you, but uh, you could train for that and, and, and build up tolerance and build up strength. Um, so yeah, I did a, a lot of a lot of those kinds of things, and, and um, I think they served me well. Carson, one thought before I ask you about the FedEx program, and you've got plenty of time to talk about that. You mentioned your brother Jordan, and he's worked with some of the best young quarterbacks in the game, and a lot of people look to him in terms of development. I mean, he clearly has a knack for this sort of thing. Did he always have that kind of eye and that vision for it? When did you know that he could do that kind of work, the kind of work he's doing right now? Not until I started training with him. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I, we, we played together and, and, uh, for the Bengals for a handful of years. And, um, I saw, uh, you know, an ability to teach, uh, but it wasn't until he had retired and I was working out with him in the summer with, with some of the guys he was training for the draft or some high school kids he was training locally where I really realized he's a teacher and, and everybody thinks, well, if, if you coach or if you played, you can go into coaching and you can be a good coach. It's just, it's, that's not true. 
there's something different about a great teacher that makes somebody a great coach. And, and you got to be able to relate to guys. You got to be able to, you know, some people hear things differently or they take things in differently. And you have to recognize that as a teacher and a coach. And uh, he has that ability. He has that. Um, that's one of his strengths is realizing the best way to deliver a point and, and the best way for each individual guy that he's teaching or coaching the best way to deliver the point for each guy. And that's something that's rare. You know, I've played for a ton of coaches, and not all of them are great teachers. So it's hard to find a coach that's a great teacher, and Jordan definitely has that ability. Carson Palmer, my guest. You're working with FedEx on their Aaron Ground NFL program and its relationship with the USO. It's a great program. Carson, lay it out for me. How can the fans get involved, and exactly what is the program about? Well, it's really cool. The the USO Pathfinder program is really cool. It's 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 inserting two service men or women uh, to the Washington Redskins and two to the, the Tennessee Titans and giving them an opportunity to work for an NFL team uh, to see everything that's going on behind the scenes uh, as they're getting ready to, to acclimate back to civilian life. And that's what the USO does. That's what their specialty is. They help our retired service men and women move on to what's next after they retire from serving our country. So FedEx is doing an unbelievable thing. I'm honored to, uh, to be the spokesperson for the year. So, Jim, make sure you're voting each week. I'm voting for Ryan Fitzpatrick for the air player this week. That's my guy. Rhino Fitz is my guy, so i got to vote for him and, and uh, Saquon Barkley for the ground player of the week. And, and FedEx is donating $2,000 on behalf of the air and ground player each week. So $4,000 goes to the USO. It's a great program. You can vote online. You can vote uh, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, and ha- make sure you hashtag Aaron Ground and get the chatter going. Well done. Carson, I don't know if you know this or not, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, you may know this or maybe not. Did you know he went to Harvard? I played with, I played with Rhino in, uh, in Cincinnati for a couple of years, and, and he's one of my favorite teammates ever. He's one of my favorite guys currently to watch play. He is absolutely fearless. You saw him last week run over a safety on the goal line to get in the end zone. He plays like a linebacker. He can take off and run. He can absolutely spin it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I knew he went to Stan or he went to Harvard, Yale. Which one is it? It's one Harvard. of those. He went to Harvard. Harvard. Yeah, I know. Amazing, right? No, you're right. Dude. He put his head down. He was amazing. Also, last thing, Carson, you are the subject of an NFL Network documentary of football life. It's a great show. It's going to drop on Friday. Listen, you've always been amazing with the media, as evidence from this interview. But you've never been somebody who was looking to make it about yourself. So are you looking forward to that as you get closer and closer to air? Yeah, I'm excited to see it. You know, I. I uh... Throughout my 15 years, I, I shied away from, from those kinds of things, and I never had a camera crew in my home around my kids and family, so it was the first time for that, um, which actually ended up being really, really fun for my kids. And, and uh, It's a great chance. My, my kids went to games and, and were interested in, in the cheerleaders and, and the mascots and all the, all the hot dogs and, and sodas and all that kind of stuff going on around them and, and never really saw the football or, or were focused on football, so... Um, it's a really cool thing to kind of go all the way back to high school, my playing days, through college, through Cincinnati, Oakland, and then into Arizona. And, uh, it's a really co- cool kind of yearbook for, for us to look at uh, at some point down the road and, and for them to reflect on and me to reflect on. But uh, it's really cool. It gave me a chance to really kind of um, vent and, and let some things out that I kind of buried deep down inside and, and was so ingrained throughout my career to move on to the next play or move on to the next day or the next game. Um, so it was a really cool opportunity, and, and I'm excited to watch it on, uh, on Friday night. In the NFL, still no Le'Veon Bell at the Steelers' facilities. That according to Adam Schefter earlier this morning. And not only is Lev not at the facility in the Berg, my man's not even on the depth chart anymore. First string, James Conner. Second string, Jalen Samuels. Third string, Stephen Ridley. No string, Le'Veon Bell. The team updated that info yesterday. So what does that mean? Is the team looking to send Le'Veon Bell a message? What's it all mean? Or does it really mean nothing at all? I mean, why would you even list a guy on a depth chart who's not even under contract to play? Lev is not on that chart for the same reason I'm not on that chart. Neither one of us have a contract with the Steelers. Well, he's got a tender. He just hasn't signed it. Listen, in terms of what does this mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that Bell is dead to them. 
even if he's acting like they're dead to him. So he's not on the team, or he's not even on the depth chart. So, where the hell is Le'Veon Bell? In the club, of course. And we know he's there because TMZ found him there, of course. TMZ reported last night with photos and all that Lev was in Miami Monday night. Not in Pittsburgh, not the facility, but in Miami at Rockwell, partying into early Tuesday morning. And if the offensive line was already pissed enough to start counting this dude's money to the media a week ago, something you never do. You never, ever count another man's money, and they couldn't wait to do it. If they were already that bent, how bent do you think they must be right now to see this cat at the club during his holdout when they're coming off an embarrassing tie to the Browns? His teammates are grinding their asses off in the facility, and Lev is grinding on something else, allegedly, in the club. Being in the club midweek during the season is not a good look. The optics are not good. Then again, my man is technically unemployed. My man is still on summer vacation. So don't expect his teammates to understand that, but don't expect him to come anywhere near that facility. They won't, and he won't. Because he's not on the chart, he's in the club. Dude is not in the gym, he's in the club. My man's not in the dark room, he's in the club. He's not at the negotiating table because he's in the club. And you could tell that his teammates, you could tell how much they don't like him right now by how much they love James Conner on Sunday. And I know why they like Conner. Conner's a good dude and a good story. And most of all, he's the guy who's there. And he played well. But as good as Connor is, and as well as he played Sunday, he's still not Le'Veon Bell. And they still couldn't beat the Browns, who they generally own. And now they've got to deal with the Chiefs, who are loaded. And Bell is still not with them because he's in the club. And he's not blinking. Not blinking, but in the club. Not making it rain in the club, but lighting more than 855 grand on fire in the club. And if he's doing that... My man must really think that he's going to get all that money back that he's losing right now next year. If you're a running back and the lifespan and the shelf life of a running back is not that long, there's no way you're lighting 855 grand on fire every single week unless you think you're going to get that money back next year when you're a free agent. Thing is, nobody knows, but I'm not sure he's going to get that money back. Not when you see what David Johnson signed for. Not when you see Le'Veon Bell's age. And not when you see how he's handling this situation right now and how his teammates are reacting to him. Again, at this point, I don't see anybody winning. Nobody. Except maybe James Conner. The Steelers aren't because they don't have one of their best players. Bell is not because he does not have his money and both sides are digging in. And it's becoming less of a standoff and more of a stalemate. Lev's not blinking. He's partying. But it's a one-man party. Because the 52 other guys and a bunch of coaches are at work and he's at the club. Generally, I would say this. Generally, I would say he'll get paid or he'll get traded. But in this case, it doesn't look like either one of those things is going to happen. Now it's just a matter of whether or not this guy's willing to swallow his pride and report. I mean, sure. It would be acknowledging defeat. Sure, it would not be a good look. Sure, he'd be out 855 grand. Not a good look, but still a better look than sitting in the club and torching nearly 900 a week while your extended family is busting its ass doing work. Most importantly, I'm all for these guys getting as much as they can whenever they can and doing whatever they have to do to get it, except in his case, because it does not look like that plan's working. In this case, Holding out is not going to get him paid. Only come to work will. But he has to leave the club in order to do that. So no sooner than they tied, he jumped on social to troll them. And then after he did that, he went to the club. This is not going very well, is it? For anybody except James Conner. And even he's about the team. And they couldn't beat Cleveland. 1-800-636-8686. Steeler fans, where do you come out? 
Should he get his butt back to the facility, get himself back on the depth chart, and do work? Or should they pay him? Because you know your team's not going to pay him. That's not what they do there. You can handle this a couple of different ways. You can go Chuck Gruden and just trade him. They're not doing that. You can go like the Rams and just pay him. They're not doing that. He could go like Odell Beckham and come in, do some work, and show that you are a leader. He's not doing that. Nobody's winning here except the club and Connor. We are joined by Cougars head coach Major Applewhite. Major, so good to have you back. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jeff? Doing great. Major, nice to visit with you. Thank you. You're coming off a 45-18 win over Arizona on Saturday. You guys look great. You jumped out to a 31-0 lead. So let me start right there. What does a blowout win against a big-time program like Arizona mean for both you and your program? Well, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, it just goes to show that, that our conference, uh, you know, the American Athletic Conference, you saw it last year with Central Florida. You saw it with us years previous, Memphis as well. Um, it's a great brand of ball that we play, and sometimes those titles and those kind of you know, hashtags in terms of conference and P5 and all that kind of stuff, uh, it, it gets thrown out the window once you kick it off. Major Applewhite joining us. Now, Derek King had a huge day. He passed for four touchdowns. He rushed for a couple of more in Saturday's win. I know you've got high expectations for him, but how impressed were you with him, and especially given that he's running a new offense? Well, it's, it's, it's his relationship with Coach Bryles, uh, and Kendall's done a great job with him, and uh, you know, Derek, unfortunately, came in as a quarterback but had a lot of injuries and wasn't able to go through some spring practices and fall camps as a quarterback all the way through. And he made it through uh, all of our spring practices, all of our fall camp. And Coach Bowles has done a tremendous job with him and the offense. And he's the kind of guy, Jim, that just dials into everything you say. He is locked in. He's a competitor. Uh, he's one of those guys that you're blessed to coach. You know, Major, I'm glad you brought up the intangibles and talk about how competitive he is because I've also heard you talk about that when it came to recruiting him, you knew that he was a good person because you met with his parents, and then you started to dig a little bit further, and you talked to other people who had played with and against him in high school. In terms of him being a competitor, what did you learn about him as you were recruiting him? Well, you know, being a five foot eleven quarterback myself and, and then also recruiting one, you just kind of you just see their, their intentions, their heart, their eyes. And he's got a giant chip on his shoulder, and he was just respected throughout the city. And, um, you know, Jim, my mom, she taught first grade for 45 years, and she told me if I can give you one piece of advice in recruiting is understand that apple trees make apples. And when you go into a home, you study those parents, and you see what they're all about because that's what their kid's going to be about. And, you know, met his parents, met his family, and I was like, I love these people. This guy's a tremendous competitor, whether he plays quarterback, wide receiver, or whatever, and all he needed was a shot. And uh, He just needs to keep being himself, which is a humble and hungry guy. Houston head football coach Major Applewhite is my guest. You know, and then we had Ed Oliver on the program recently, Major, and I, I had him on, and you and I have talked about him in the past, but as you've had a chance to spend more and more time with him, what is it about Ed Oliver that makes him such a unique player? His energy. You know, his energy, and he just, you know, sounds corny, but he's just got a zest for life. Man. I mean, he loves to be around teammates. He loves football. He loves challenges. Uh, he loves people saying he can't do this or he's not the best at this. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities between he and Derek, our quarterback, as well. I mean, it's just that, that fire that you want to see in your competitors. You know, the thing also, Major, that's really impressive to me about Ed Oliver is when you talk to him, you know that the NFL, although that's very much a part of his future, it's something that he views as a long way off and that the only thing that really seems to matter to him right now is a conference championship and a New Year's Bowl game. So when you've got a star player like Oliver who's focused on a goal like that, how much does that impact the rest of the team? Tremendously. And, and you know, he, he wants to do it. He wants to leave a mark. You know, he understands that there's things beyond you know, the University of Houston and his experiences here, but he wants to leave a, a lasting mark and he's very prideful in his city and set where he comes from. And um, that's something that, that you know, he's, he's put his mind completely on. And like you said, other guys feed off of that. They feel that energy and they're right there along with him because they're thinking, shouldn't he be thinking about first round? Shouldn't he be thinking about Heisman? And he's like, no, we've got a conference championship to win, but more importantly, we've got Texas Tech this weekend on the road. Talking about Texas Tech, as you get ready for them and they're on the road, what concerns you the most about them as a team? Well, they're, they're a difficult team to play out there, and it's, it's our first true road trip. We had an away game, but that was, you know, uh, intercity rival, right? So this is the first time that we're going on the road. It's a, it's a tremendous environment. It's, it's a great place to play uh, as an away opponent. 
Um, but it's just for our guys' understanding, four quarters. It's always been that way. This will be the seventh time I've been out there as a player and a coach, and every one of those games goes four quarters, and you've got to be prepared to fight 15 rounds. There is no such thing as an early knockout out there. Uh, they score a lot of points. You've got to be locked in for three, four hours. We're talking to Major Applewhite. Cougars 2-0 so far, and they've got that big game coming up against Tech. You know, there's a notion in coaching circles that you can make huge improvements from week one to week two. So what did you see in your team from the first game to the second game, and then how do you build on that for the third game? Well, we, we played better in the first half uh, against Arizona than we did against Rice. And a lot of that's, you know, first game jitters, you know, just new experiences, things like that. So we played better in the first half against Texas, excuse me, against Arizona. Uh, for us, it's, not, it's like any other coach, putting together full quarters. Uh, but we talked to our team about it on Sundays. Just, you know, continue to trust your process. We don't need to do anything different unless it's going to make us better. Um, but just being deliberate. Where do we need to get better? Let's, let's not sit here and just adore this Arizona tape. Let's watch it quickly, get it over with, get it off our, out of our system. And let's focus on the things that we need to do to be the best team this Saturday at 3 o'clock. And then back in the spring, you talked about the fact that a mentor had told you that it might take 12 or 18 months before you really feel like it's your program. Is it an accurate statement in your mind? And does it feel like it is your program now? I do. I think it has a lot to do, and, and not pointing fingers by, in saying this, but it takes everybody a year to work together. It takes everybody a year. It takes, you know, the calendar, whether it's recruiting days, official visits, signing day, off-season, spring practice, summer workouts. It takes a, an entire year to go through that calendar and create your expectations uh, for each time of the year and each, each event that's coming around the corner. And I think everybody gets a feel for that. And as you go into your second year, you're, hey, this is where we had a pitfall. Or this is where we can capitalize. We can make this even more successful than when we did it last year. Uh, so I think, yeah, a full calendar year, 18 months, something like that, it, it, it helps you feel more comfortable about what's coming around the corner and people are able to do their jobs better. Major Applewhite joins us for a few more moments. Now, when you took over, the players talked about the fact that you do not raise your voice very often, but when you do, it means something. You've made the point that when Mac Brown raised his voice, it would get your attention. What have you taken from Mac Brown that you've applied to your own head coaching style? Well, just focus on the things that matter. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on in a building. There's a lot of things that a, a head coach can get his hands into if he wants to. Um, you just got to be smart and understand where you need to focus your time um, and where your time needs to be focused is on your players. And that's, that's, that is your job is to raise young men that can graduate, uh, get their degree, create earning power, and play great football and win championships in the process. So uh, the second time around, a lot more time I'm able to spend time with players uh, throughout the day and, and, and see where I can help them and give them their resources to, to accomplish their goals. I mean, coaches, winning schemes and all those kind of things, I get it. I'm with you. But that's ultimately our job is to give those young men every resource humanly possible to get the best degree, create earning power, and win championships. And, and don't make it any more complicated than that. So then at the end of the day, and I talked to Carson Palmer about this major earlier today, and as another quarterback, you can relate to this. He was talking about his brother, and I said, what is it about Jordan? And does he have a knack for the way he sees the game? And he said, you know what? Just because you play the game does not mean you can coach. And just because you can coach does not mean you can teach. So in your opinion, how much of being a head coach is about teaching the game of football? And then how much of that is about developing relationships and then motivating your players? It's more of the latter. You know, it's, it's, it's more about the, the teaching uh, football is not very complicated. You know, we, we make it complicated as coaches. Keep it very simple. Uh, work on the person. You know, work on the discipline that you have to have each and every day. Work on the work ethic. Work on the belief system. Them believing in themselves, developing confidence, and they'll start executing that play better. Let me finally ask you this. I mean, you're one year removed from Hurricane Harvey and the impact that it had on the city of Houston and on your program, and it meant that you had to evacuate the city, support your players who were dealing with it, and then when you come back, you organize trucks to take supplies to people who had survived. I know you're focused on tech, but when you look back on that whole experience from last year, what kind of thoughts do you have? Well, it's, it's you know, one that I feel very fortunate and blessed to, to not affect my family as much as it did people around us in, in our city. Um, at the same time, it makes you feel very prideful to live in a city that, that works the way they did to, to bring everybody back on their feet again. And, uh, you know, you see this getting ready to happen, you know, on the East Coast right now. And, you know, your heart goes out to people that are getting ready to have tremendous life changes. But uh, it showed me a lot about our players, showed me a lot about our staff and, and an incredible, you know, our city, just the way our city reached out to each other and helped each other through this. Is, that's, the, that's the big lesson. That's what I hope our players learned as well. 
covering an awful lot of ground. So you've got Houston coming off a really, really nice win over Arizona. Next challenge, Texas Tech on Saturday. The Cougars are 2-0, and they're coming off a bowl game last season. Their head coach, Major Applewhite, my guest. Major, so good to get caught up. I appreciate your time this week, and it's really Thank nice you. to have you on the show, and I appreciate that relationship. Thank you. Hey, man. Thanks for having me again, Jim. Go Cougs. All right, so it's been a minute since we talked about Hugh Freeze. And if it's been a minute, that probably means that Hugh Freeze was laying low in an attempt to rehabilitate that image. But he did resurface at the Little Rock Touchdown Club on Monday night. And he talked about life, and he took some questions. One of the questions was about the fact that he does not have a job and whether or not somebody or something was behind the fact that he still does not have a job. Job. I think that... um... This past year, there were uh, several schools that uh, showed great interest in me. And uh, for whatever reason, they all ended uh, the same way. I think that that's probably a question that's better asked for people that had discussions in regards to my employment. So it'd probably be unfair for me to to speculate on that. But, um, you know, I just think I think the climate in America the last year probably affects a lot of uh, administrators' decision-making. and <laughs> That's incredible. The climate in America affects a lot of administrators' decision-making. That's some word salad right there. That's some word salad right there. An interesting word salad of an answer. The money quote, though, I think the climate in America the last year probably affects a lot of administrators' decision-making. Yeah, hell yes. Finally, finally somebody said it. Somebody finally had the guts to stand up and say the truth. He's not dancing around that issue. He's willing to come right out and say it. It's about damn time. Leave it to a dude named Hugh Freeze to give you some stone-cold facts. The climate in America is preventing Hugh Freeze from getting another job. It's got nothing to do with the fact that the last time anybody heard the name Hugh Freeze... It was when he was getting run out of Oxford for calling sex workers on his cell phone. Sorry, I misspoke. It's not entirely accurate to say that he was calling sex workers on his cell phone. What is accurate is he was calling sex workers on his school-issued cell phone. And when asked about that, he told Yahoo that he accidentally misdialed the number. Quote, I've got no idea. To be honest, I was in an 813 area code... And that was a 313 number. I think that might have been a misdial. I don't think there was even a conversation. There's nothing to it, end quote. So it's not just that he was calling sex workers or that he was calling sex workers from a school-issued phone. This dude actually had the stones to say that he had the wrong number. You know, the old accidentally called a hooker excuse. I mean, who listening to this show right now hasn't accidentally called an escort service? You know, once or ten times. It happens. It happens to us all. It happens to us all. Yeah, see it working, Hugh. I could see how that could happen. I guess. Once. Sort of. Not really. Not a chance in hell. And especially since it was not a one-off. Because according to the Wall Street Journal, quote, the university's investigation uncovered calls of similar nature over the course of several years, often matching up with travel logs showing the coach's use of the school plane. The school said it examined his travel logs from peak recruiting times, often November, December, and January, when Freeze would travel out of state using the school plane and other public resources, end quote. So, he wasn't just using a school-issued cell To call sex workers, he was using a school-issued plane to travel to get with sex workers. While other coaches were recruiting players, Hugh was recruiting sex. I mean, I got to tell you, every so often, you just got to take a step back and applaud the audacity. I mean, if you're going to set fire to your career, don't just dump a little lighter fluid and flick a blue tip, man, dump the whole freaking drum of gasoline on it and hit it with a blowtorch, a flamethrower. But despite that disastrous end in Oxford, Hugh is still wondering why he doesn't have a job. I'm honored that some coaches in this league know me for who I am and, and felt felt like, man, we need to, to go after this guy. And um, Hate it didn't work out and at the time was kind of angry or uh, wondering what the heck's going on. You're wondering what the heck's going on. 
Seriously, you don't know what the heck is going on. You don't know why nobody's hiring you. Did you black out and erase what happened? Do you not remember the last year and a half or so? Dude, you lost your job because you were calling sex workers for years and lied about it. And now somehow you've convinced yourself that the reason you can't get a job is not because you were chasing escorts, but because it's, quote, the climate in America. Climate in America. Like the world has suddenly become so politically correct that a guy who uses a school phone to call sex workers and a school plane to fly to get with them cannot get a job right now. Man, I hate it when that happens. Just like I really hate the PC police. Man, you can't even use your school-issued phone to get with escorts and then lie about it anymore. The hell is this world coming to? Now, why is everybody so sensitive these days? Back in the day, you could take a school plane on a recruiting trip, and after visiting a recruit in his living room, you could spend time in an escort's bedroom. That's how it was back then. That's how it should be. I mean, is that your argument, Hugh? Because let me just throw the idea out there, and we can see if there's anything to it. But maybe you not having a job is not about the climate in America, but the fact that schools and a conference do not want to hire a guy who will use their phones and their planes to get with sex workers. Maybe schools don't want to coach using school money and school resources on sex. Maybe the SEC commissioner does not want to have to answer questions about why a guy's back in the conference a few months after a scandal like that. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing. Now you're right. It's probably all about the climate in America. And it's got nothing to do with you trying to get with escorts on company time, on the school's dime. Whatever works for you. And no, we don't have to go ask the people who won't hire you why they won't hire you. We already know. It's not the nation. It's not the climate. It's the escorts. It's the escorts. It's definitely the escorts. What the heck's going on? Seth Latrell is my guest. Seth, nice to have you in the jungle. Good morning. How are you? Jim, uh, appreciate you having me on. Everything's great. You? Good, good. Coach, good to have you on. Thanks for doing it. So I mentioned you started the season 2-0. and You had a win over SMU, and now you've got that big game coming up Saturday against Arkansas. So first things first, how is life with the mean green right now? Uh, everything's been great. You know, we've got a good group. You know, we've got 17 returner starters. So, you know, we had a lot of experience in year three. Uh, a lot of these guys have been playing since they were freshmen and just understanding the culture, uh, being able to keep our coaches this past season has been was really crucial for us in the off season. just being able to, uh, you know, keep the ball rolling and making sure that we're not having to coach coaches and players. And, uh, so, you know, we're at year three, so everybody kind of understands the culture. Everybody knows the standard that we're looking for each and every day. And uh, the guys have worked extremely hard. You know, they came in after this past season with a, a chip on their shoulder and, and ready to get back to work. And, uh, you know, we've really developed some really strong leaders, and they've, they've worked hard together and, and starting to build that team chemistry we're looking for. A lot of good stuff in there. Seth Luttrell joining us. Now, there's a number of guys I could talk to you about, but why don't we start with your quarterback, Mason Fine. He was on just about every single award watch list at the start of the season, and then he comes out and he's thrown for nearly 900 yards, seven touchdowns in two games. You've been around some really good quarterbacks, both as a player and a coach. What makes Mason so good? I think, uh, you know, just what he does off the field. He's such a great leader. Uh, More importantly, you know, everything, you know, People want to talk about his stats, and the last thing he'll talk about is his stats. I mean, he really doesn't care. All he wants to do is compete for championships and win football games. And, you know, not only for this team and this program, his teammates, but also for this community. And, uh, you know, he's very driven. He's worked uh, probably as hard as I've ever seen a guy work this offseason. Um, you know, not only uh, in the weight room getting bigger, stronger, and faster, but just uh, in the film room getting the receivers together and throwing one-on-one routes, getting the time and the rhythm together. And, uh, you know, he just he, he's, he's a special uh, – you know, player that you, you get every so often that has a, a, a tremendous drive and determination to be successful. And, um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's as good as they come. There's no doubt on and off the field. He's a, he's a great teammate, a great person, and uh, we're, we're very blessed to have him. You know, one thought about him also, watching him, it seems to me he's not afraid to take a chance and let it rip, not afraid to take a chance and throw a ball where maybe a few other quarterbacks, only a few other quarterbacks can put it. What's it like for you as head coach when you see some of the passes that he throws? Well, you mean you gotta let Mason be him. He sees the uh, the field very well. He's very accurate. Um, you know, and uh, like we talked about this past year, you know, you don't have to do it all on your own. Uh, you got to take what they give you. Um, you know, but at the same time, we want you to be aggressive, uh, but you know, manage the game as best as possible. And you know, when he trusts it, he sees it. Uh, you know, he feels comfortable uh, with ripping the ball and then putting it in different spots. 
Um, but, uh, you know, so far so good. You know, you know, we had the, the first uh, game we didn't have any turnovers. Uh, we were plus on the uh, turnover margin in this past game. We were plus, I think, two or three. Uh, we did have that one pick, uh, made a you know poor decision there, but overall he's been spectacular and he's seeing the field very well and uh, and also the the guys around him, uh, you know the receivers and running backs are doing a good job of uh, making sure they're in the right spaces. And Seth, your coaching journey to me is really interesting in the sense that you were an assistant at Kansas, Texas Tech, Arizona, Indiana, North Carolina. You were having great success at each spot, and then the head coaching job at North Texas opens up. And at that time, they were coming off a one and eleven season. So, what made you feel like that was a good spot? For for you and a good opportunity well first and foremost uh you know just being able to talk to the president here and and you know his vision uh for for the program you know i think you know always having been from this area this is kind of my footprint and um you know just knowing that uh you know north texas uh could could really uh, do a lot of great things you know as long as we're putting the resources necessary in order for our student athletes to have success and uh, they've made a big commitment here, and then after you know, kind of getting to know them and talk with them, and and getting around some of the, the donors, I knew that uh, you know they were serious about you know making this place a very special place to, uh, you know, not only coach but uh, in the community has been great. This is my footprint, so you know, being able to get back this area and uh, have some of the relationships and get back with some of those relationships I've had in the past has been awesome. Uh, but just overall, I just felt like this place could uh, do special things and. Um, you got the best recruiting, uh, recruiting grounds in the country, uh, right in your backyard. Um, and so, you know, the, uh, in the state of Texas, they, they take their football very seriously. So, um, but the first and foremost, you got to give uh, our president a lot of credit for, you know, just giving us the resources necessary to be successful. And he's done everything he's, uh, he's promised. I, I can tell you that. All right. So laying it out like that, it makes sense to me. But I think I, I need to make this one point. The truth is, and I get all that's true, but when you first got there, the team had not only gone 1-11, but it had lost 66-7 to to Portland State at home in a game where the school paid Portland State to come and ended up on the wrong end of the worst loss by an FBS school to an FCS school, that's tough. So how would you describe the state of the program when you first got there? I think just confidence, you know, just making sure my first meeting is going in there. And, you know, these guys, obviously you come to play ball and you and you come to win. I mean, that's what you came to play college football for. So I think more than anything is just getting around and, and building the confidence, uh, you know, building the relationships between our players and our coaches. And i got to give these guys a lot of credit because it's, it's a challenge. Any coaching change, I've been through it. You know, I've seen it uh, firsthand as a player. Uh, you know, when I was a junior at the University of Oklahoma, I was sitting kind of right where they were sitting when a new coach came in by the name of Bob Stoops. And so, um, you know, I knew that, uh, you know, having gone through that situation, the most important thing was just building those relationships and building the trust uh, of the football team and then hiring great coaches to come in here and coach and build the, you know, uh, set the foundation uh, for what our culture is going to be. Everybody's buying into the same, uh, you know, uh, core values and pulling the rope in the same direction. And uh, I got I got to give these uh, players a lot of credit and the guys that were here because they really did buy in and they worked extremely hard uh, and believed in uh, everything we were getting accomplished. And so, you know, it was challenging. There's no doubt about that. But I think. Uh, any, uh, just like anything, uh, as long as everybody's on the same page, everybody can pull the rope in the same direction, I think you can, can have success. We are talking North Texas football. The head coach, Seth Luttrell, my guest. You know, if we go back, your father, Jim, won a pair of national titles as a fullback at Oklahoma. Then you go on to win a national title as a fullback, fullback and a captain at Oklahoma. So how much pride was there for you in following that tradition? Well, that was a true blessing, I'll tell you. You know, growing up, that's, uh, you know, something I was very passionate about was Oklahoma football because of my father, you know, having had the opportunity to play for Coach Switzer and, um, you know, be on a team that uh, started fullback for two national championships. And growing up, that's all I ever dreamed about doing. So I was uh, extremely blessed that I got the opportunity, um, you know, to go there. And, um, you know, at the time that I committed there, you know, we we were kind of in the – in the dark years of Oklahoma football, we hadn't had as much success as they had had in the past. And so uh, going there, you know, it was something that was very special to me to uh, go in there with an attitude that, uh, you know, being a great teammate and working as hard as possible to make sure that, uh, you know, we get that program turned around and, and headed in the right direction to where, uh, you know, we can compete for championships. And uh, took a lot of great coaches, a lot of great players and teammates to really buy in to Coach Stoops, you know, his culture and his philosophies. And, 
uh, I was extremely blessed to be a part of a very special season that, that 2000 year. Seth Barry Switzer, I'm glad you brought him up. He is an all-timer, man. What a beauty. He, he is something else, man. I get such a kick out of him. What did your dad say about playing for him? What was that like? Loved him. You know, uh, Coach Switzer, uh, he's, he's a player's coach, and, um, you know, he, he worked extremely hard, and, and uh, he coached him hard. But at the same time, you know, it was a great environment. And, you know, back then they had some really, really good players. And, again, uh, my dad was a lot like me. He had the opportunity to go – uh, play for a great team surrounded by a lot of great players. So, uh, um, you know, it was uh, it was a blessing, that's for sure. But uh, Coach Switcher's the best. Hey Seth, I'm looking at you. You look like you uh, still have a lot of fullback in you. You look like you're still throwing the weights around quite a bit. I know one of the traditions you have, though, is cookie night. And I, I'm a cookie guy, but I'm a talk show host. So what's cookie night? What's that all about? How does that bring folks together? Yeah, we uh, our wives come in uh, every Sunday after practice, and they, they cook make cookies and uh, they bring them up here, and I think it's just more important to get our families around these guys and uh, let them see us as as, as husbands, as fathers. Uh, you know, we, we always talk about being a family, and, um, you know, I think it's important that they see us in that atmosphere. And at the same time, you know, I want everybody to kind of be around each other, getting to know people. And, uh, you know, that's part of our wives and families are a big part of this as well. And so I think, again, just getting everybody on the same page and, understanding that we're all in this together we're all making sacrifices and at the end of the day as long as we can all be on the same page pull that rope in the same direction we can do anything so one last quick follow-up and i'll let you go to that point i think there's a lot of drivers and achievers who are listening that will uh, respect this and appreciate the question if you're busy as you are helping to raise everybody else's kids but you've got a family of your own how do you make sure that you balance your work life and your family life and that your coaches do the same thing well, that's uh, first off, uh, you know, I got to give a, a lot of credit to my wife. She's unbelievable and she's very independent. She does a, a great job of, uh, you know, being a great mother. Um, but, you know, I try to, um, you know, make sure that uh, I, I spend quality time with my children throughout the week and, and our coaches do as well uh, to the sense to where, um, you know, even on Sundays, I don't come up early on Sundays. I try to uh, wake up. I go be able to see my kids, take them to church, go eat lunch, and then come in here and uh, you know, evaluate the game after that. We have plenty of time, um, you know, throughout the week to make sure that we're getting done everything necessary to be successful. It's just time management. And, um, you know, there's times throughout the week to where, uh, you know, we get our work done. And if, if we can, some mornings we'll, we'll be able to uh, make a staff meeting late enough to where some guys can take their kids to school. Um, and then uh, for those days that we can't, hopefully we can get them home early enough. You know, I have two smaller kids, so younger kids, so they're eight and eight and five so uh, at times you know they're they're in bed by eight thirty uh, on school nights and so uh you know we try to get home and, and at least be able to tuck them in bed give them a kiss and let them understand that yes we do live in this home <laughs> a great life work balance a 2-0 start cookie night won a national championship as a player at oklahoma too the head football coach at north texas seth latrell my guest seth great job really nice to visit with you and i appreciate you taking so much time to come on the program good luck this weekend jim it's a pleasure thank you very much for having me Good night now! Security threats are everywhere. But with Xfinity XFi, you're notified of threats to your in-home Wi-Fi network, so all your connected devices are protected. That's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with Xfinity XFi. Plus, you'll get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway. That's a $72 value per year. No other provider offers this. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. 